Hi, everybody. This is TKO or TK or Tokes Ogun. Tokes is a friend of mine. I've known Tokes for almost 20 years now. More yeah. Than. Wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. That's two almost decades. 20 years. Yep. So we met when I first moved to Atlanta and we've done a bunch of stuff together, created music. Yeah. Tried to relocate to Nigeria together. Multiple times. Decided to get the fuck out. As well, multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're back in Atlanta now, and every now and again, we catch up and just have these random chats. So I was thinking that it was overdue, to, you know, get on the podcast. Matter of fact, my hope is that we'll get to do like a bunch of episodes, right? Yeah. Because there are a bunch of different hot topics at any point in time. That we yeah, usually... there's a lot of intersection between a lot of things that, that, that we're overdue to discuss. <laughs> right. There's the music, there's IT, there's... Like just tech in general. There's tech in general. There's culture. So there's many things. Food. There's yeah. yeah, pretty much everything. And you were in Ghana recently, right? Yeah, I was in Ghana just a couple weeks ago. Okay. And there's like a movement right now. People wanting to go to Ghana. Absolutely. The US. I think Ghana's been intentional about trying to attract the African American community. Absolutely. To, to Ghana. And you were also in Nigeria recently. Yes. So maybe a good place to start is, speaking of culture, what is Nigeria doing wrong? Nigeria is probably a more interesting place to visit than Ghana could ever be. I was wondering the same thing when I was in Ghana is that why is everybody coming here when, if we're just being honest, and this is obviously no offense to any Ghanaians, but let's say a lot of the Afrobeat songs are Nigerian. A lot of the flavor and all this stuff is Nigerian. So why is everybody going to Ghana? And I finally understood it. Ghana is easy. A American can go to Ghana right now, not really having known much, get a cab at the airport, go to their hotel, and they're fine. <laughs> I, I went to Ghana. I didn't feel like I was harassed by anybody or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was so cool and easy that I was just like, okay, I get it. With Nigeria, it almost feels, even for us now, right, we feel like we have to get a protocol officer so we don't have to deal with a bunch of the mess. Right. Come and get me from the plane. Take me through immigration, make sure that's all good, make sure my bags are good, make sure I get through all of the security people who are going to ask me, what did I bring this and all the rowdiness. And then we also, for people like us, we also make sure that there's somebody official that's going to come get us from the airport so we don't have to walk into any of the madness. In Ghana, there's none of that. Huh. So it's like all of the flavor, none of the stress. That's what Nigeria is doing wrong. We feel like it's almost just, and if you want to come, you'll come. And you go through the mess if you don't want to and go somewhere else. That's crazy. We've been traveling a lot lately, right? And there's the common thread, which is everywhere you go, like you just said, you can just go. Just go. And it's crazy that we wanted to do Africa this year. But one of the hesitations that I had is, okay, if we're going to Nigeria, like there's certain things that have to be in place in order for me to take my family to Nigeria and ensure that they'll have a good time. Now, anyone who's listening to this, a Nigerian listening to this, ah, ah, what is it? It's not that bad. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we traveled to Belize, Honduras, the Bahamas. You can go to Mexico. I'm leaving Europe out of it. Right. Like, you can go to places that are technically third world. Yeah, develop, they're on the developing side. Underdeveloped. But you can still just get to the airport, 
take an Uber to your hotel, check into your hotel, come out of the hotel, walk the streets, go to the stores, set up a tour, get a tour guide yep. who's literally going to show you the culture, whatever it is that you're interested in, whether it's food, whether it's like seeing sights or whatever it is that you're trying to do. You can do all of those things without knowing a single nationale of whatever country it is that you're visiting. Exactly. What I'm hearing you say, and I'm agreeing wholeheartedly, is it's impossible. Well, <laughs> it's possible. It's almost impossible to do it without risk. It's impossible to do it without risk. Almost everybody that I know who I've told stories about Nigeria, oh, I would love to go, this and that. It's always, yeah, but I want to go when you're going. I'm not just going to go by myself. No, I'm the one that's going. telling. No, I'm the one that's actually telling me, yo, don't go, don't go without me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you want to guarantee Safety. the experience that you've told them about right. is what they're going to have, not anything that's funny. In Ghana, you can have that. And so mm. in Ghana, you get everything that you love about Africa mm. minus all of the stress. Right. Power works. Really? Is in Ghana. Come on. Now, I heard that they have power cuts as well. Come they on. do. But here's the thing is that it's not as frequent. It's for a short time. So you're like, okay, it might be for an hour or two. It's going to come back. Interesting. You know how Lagos is. It's just like. You never know. You don't like know. <laughs> Power goes out. It could be one hour. It could be one month. <laughs> it could be a couple of months. You don't know. It could be a couple of months. But there, and then also because the people are also a lot more calm and chill. Okay. They're not as aggressive as Nigerians are. And I noticed this when I went back from Ghana because I went to Nigeria twice on the front end and the back end. Okay. So on the back end, immediately I get to the airport, the taxi guys, because it's a, a hustle culture, it's mm -hmm. already, okay, how far? Ah, guy way tall. Ah, this, that. And you're just like, you're trying <laughs> you're to. Overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. You're because overwhelmed because like, yeah. it feels like a lot of energy on you. And the average tourist is not ready for that type of heat that Nigerians. Right bring to people where it's just, I know a guy, you guys take my taxi, right. this, that. And if you're not used to that banter back and forth from a lot of people, it's overwhelming. Yeah. That's where I would say Ghana is. And I hadn't been to Ghana since the Iman time, that time. So the Iman time that Tok speaks of is when it started a company called Iman Entertainment. Yeah. This was in 2011. Uh, yeah, 11, 12. Yeah, 2011 into 2012. That was an entertainment startup in Nigeria, which we'll talk about a little bit. In an interesting way, it was a success, but it was also a huge failure. Yeah. But I'll also say for me, the way I've, let's say, rewritten it in my mind, that is just one of those great learning experiences that I learned so much in that time, stuff I wouldn't have learned any other way. Right. Through that, sometimes you learn through the hard knocks. Absolutely. That was like a big, oh, a big hard knock. Yeah. Same here as well. Like, I've always seen experiences as just an opportunity to learn, right? So yeah. sometimes when you're just successful, like, mm -hmm. you don't learn anything. Right? You don't. And people who have had things easy, things handed to them, aren't mm -hmm. really learning much, right? When they're in a tough situation, they're more likely to crack than someone who's dealt with a lot of failure. So I feel like the whole Iman Entertainment, the partners that we had, the yeah. setup that we had, <laughs> the potential it had, right, and how... All of it fell apart. I think it's one of those things that it needs to be written. Like, it does. <laughs> it needs to be written down <laughs> for people to just learn. But like you, it was an opportunity for me to learn. And I learned a lot. A lot. From the business side, from the marketing side, 
from the research analysis side, mm-hmm. so many things that became apparent once you get in the space and you're dealing with the kinds of numbers that we're dealing with yeah. and also the kinds of things that we were trying to set up in the kind of system that we were trying right. to set it up with the kind of people that we were trying to set it up with around the kind of artists that we were trying to build it. Yeah, there was a lot to learn. There was Plenty. a lot. What was the biggest, what was like the biggest lesson for you? The biggest, one of the biggest lessons. Hold on, before you say that, yeah. let me let me back up and give some context, right? Iman Entertainment is a company that we formed that basically was supposed to be a holding company for Tribe Records, Tribe Productions. We had a distribution company and yeah. so on. And this was something that we did as part of an expansion plan for Tribe. Yeah. So this is essentially what spurred Tribe 2.0. And I haven't really talked about this on the podcast really anywhere. I may have made mention of it, but just so anyone who's listening has context, this was supposed to be the evolution of what Tribe Records, the record label, was. And so what happened was we all moved to Nigeria, 2009. You came in, I think, 2009, yeah. So it was myself, you, Oladili, who left very early because he just saw the signs and he dipped out. But then it was myself, it was you, it was Ruckus. Femi, um, it was Badmus. Femi, Badmus. It was a Shea Man who basically initiated some of the conversations, right? And then K9, Soja, Eva, SARS. SARS. Who else was on there? There was a lot of people that Arami were Day. on there. Arami Day. Um, anyway, long story short is, and I wanted to give context so that your responses <laughs> <laughs> is clear to folks that are listening, right? So long story short is we get together. We are planning this massive expansion and we pull in partners who i think we didn't do enough due diligence on and this is me from my perspective speaking now right yeah i don't think that enough due diligence was done on the people that we partnered with and while they appeared to have everything that it took to really help with the expansion it turned out that we were just part of some little game that one of the partners was playing yes so anyway Basically, everything goes south, right? But that funny enough, that leads right into my biggest lesson learned is that a lot of times there are games being played on multiple levels. So you have to be aware of the different games that are being played because there's a game that you think you're playing. There's also the game that other people are playing. And if you're not aware of those multiple games, you don't understand how you fit into somebody else's agenda. And that ultimately determines how things go long-term because you don't know. So one of the things that you said that I'm just realizing in retrospect is that sometimes when a deal or a situation is brought to you, it can seem like it's a blessing. Oh, wow. That does sound like a good idea. (laughs) But you also don't know why this deal was brought to you and what the person who's bringing this deal has as their plan. They can tell you that, hey, my plan seems like your plan there's synergies and then <laughs> synergy. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> There's synergies and then we go forward. And then later on you find out that oh they're playing a completely different game right. on some type of 3D chess board that you're not <laughs> even aware of. You're just thinking, ah, oh, this so this is how it happens. It's funny you mentioned the word synergy because there's a bit of a pun intended, right? Yes. <laughs> so that and you guys are gonna hear talks and I have a lot of private moments and just joking and laughing, right? There's plenty of context behind a lot of what we're talking about, but and I'll try to explain <laughs> yes. some of it. The company that was 
pulling this deal together at the time was called Synergy Capital. That <laughs> <laughs> right. was headed by two, I'd still call them gentlemen. Yeah. Who, again, like you said, it depends on the game that you're playing, right? Yeah. They're in place to fund startups. Yeah. And what their business model is, is that they get investment from like different investors or like, you know, hedge funds or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And they put those investments into startups and they're supposed to grow the startups as an investment for the larger fund. Yes. Ultimately, they figured that they can do this. And since success isn't really guaranteed with many startups, they only have to be successful maybe 10 to 20 percent of the time. Absolutely. And that pays for the whole fund plus profits. And that pays for the fund plus profit. So the investors are happy Mm -hmm. either way, right? Because the investors, they'll hammer on one or two deals or one or two startups. And then the rest of the startups are just suya. Exactly. Just suya. (laughs) For those who don't understand, suya is African beef jerky. I think that's the the easiest way to describe it. In this context, it's a nice snack. Yeah. If you happen to be one of the eight startups that are just there so that they can fund a lifestyle or fund some personal activities or whatever it is, right? What they do is they use the startup, position the startup for funding, receive the funds from the investors, and then starve the startup. Absolutely, yeah. And so when the startup dies is written off as something that died a natural death. Oh, the CEO just didn't know what he was doing. Oh, we just didn't really have a great team. Oh, the market just didn't pan out. Hey, you know what? That's a miss, but at least we have these hits, right? And so investors are like, yeah, you know, I'm not expecting everything to be successful. So sure. So essentially the game is finding attractive startups that you can leverage for funding. Yep. So then you get the funds and you route the funds however you want to route them. For example, through paying for some lifestyle things under the guise of, hey, we need to go to London. Hey, we need to go to Dubai. Yeah. Hey, we need to go to South Africa. Hey, wait, why you want to shoot these videos here? Yeah. <laughs> Don't think small. Think big. You got to think big. Let's do videos in South Africa, Dubai, China, maybe. Get the best directors, man. Why are we shooting these videos without Lamborghinis? Come on now, let's get it. All of that is necessary to keep the game going for the investor because the investor is going to show up every now and again and say, hey, what's up? Let me see what you guys are doing, right? So the books that the investors get to see has all of these things. And there's a lot of evidence of money being spent. But essentially what's happening is that the money isn't necessarily coming to the startup. The money is going to individuals so that's essentially the game so so basically we got got in 2012 2011 absolutely by by, by these folks and so that kind of was in an interesting way also leading towards the end of my hey you know what i don't even know if i want to be in this business anymore so that's so essentially that's the context yes and I feel like it's important for people to understand this because there's so many people in that space who can benefit from understanding that this game is out there. Absolutely. Especially in a place like Nigeria where, like you said earlier, it feels like people are thinking, oh, my miracle investor is going to show up from somewhere. Absolutely. Every time an investor comes to you, you have to understand exactly what their game plan is. Yeah. Especially if you're in a position where you're doing good on your own and you don't necessarily need them to continue to do good. 
Every time you hear someone say, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing. This is great, but let's blow it up. Pause and really try to understand what's the bigger picture. Absolutely. Um, a lot of due diligence on the individuals. Find out what are the businesses they've invested in. Exactly. Find out which ones of them have been successful. Interview those people. Find out the ones that have failed. Yes. Talk to those people as well. And one of the things I'll say is that because at the time, at least it didn't feel like we were necessarily thinking along those lines. It didn't feel like we went shopping for investors. It felt like they came to us. They came to us. And so because of that, what you're talking about where it's just, okay, do your due diligence and whatever. Sometimes when something feels like a miracle dropped in your lap and you're at a certain level of thinking, it's just like, man, look at God. It's just look at God. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was just sitting here How, all minding my so, business and this just dropped right here in my lap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the way that it seems. And then because of that, you're not doing the due diligence that you should. Let's say when you're buying a car or looking for a house where you're just like trying to kick the tires, not see what, let me see before you guys come and get me. Right. You know what I mean? You're not right. looking at that. You're just thinking, yeah. <laughs> It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yep. Just showing up. And so you're not thinking of the multiple games um, being played. And the honest truth is that in that field, venture capital, private equity, they do a lot of deals. And not all the deals go well. Absolutely. I think. And you know what's so funny is that a lot of this information was told to us why we were in. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> the game was told to us that was being played we against playing, us right. while we were playing it. While we were playing it. We yep. just didn't clock that oh, we could be one of those people that is the startup that is positioned to fund lifestyle, but not positioned for success. Right. And it's so funny that um, in a show called Silicon Valley that is based about Silicon Valley and startups, an almost exact same scenario happens to that startup where they're strapped for cash and an investor shows up. Hey, I wanted to save the day. I'll put in $50 million or whatever down. You're just like, Wow. $50 million. One investor man. fell out and then you just showed up just like a miracle. It <laughs> sounds like a good thing. But then just like our scenario, the amount, which was like a couple million dollars, is presented that here's what you guys are going to get. Just, man, that can go a long way. Right. <laughs> Promotion, this one, that one. You're just thinking, beautiful. But it's very difficult to actually get a hold of that money right. into the control of the people who are actually running the startup. Correct. And so what happens is that somebody controls the purse strings and they normally decide where the money goes. And they're always positioned with, oh, I have a friend who has a company that does X, Y, Z. I got a friend, a company who does X, Y, Z. And so essentially they're using your funding that you were promised to then give business to their friends, which these are like your investors, also advisors. So you're just like, interesting. <laughs> okay. Seems a little bit expensive, but you know what? Sure. Why not? And so money's flying left and right. And then after a while, you're just like, ah, oh, this feels like a lot. But then you're also, let's say, new to this level of spending. And you're thinking, maybe I should challenge myself and think bigger. Maybe oh, that's they're telling you that, they're, too. They're telling they're you that, too. They're actually coaching you yes. along the way. No, come on. What are you talking about? You guys want to do promo for a music video? You're only going to spend 15000 That's it? Is That's it? That's all you? That's how big you guys are? Come on. You got to think big. Think bigger. Well, think the biggest you can think. What's the biggest you can think? Right. Universal music. Now we're talking. Write the proposal. <laughs> <laughs> Write that proposal. Let me have that proposal on my desk by Monday morning so I can take it to my uh, investors and I can convince them to release some money. 
I'll take the money and you'll never see the money. Or I'll just figure out a way to redistribute it to my guys. Exactly. Let me tell you what's even more sinister. One of some of the darker parts of that whole situation was putting the startup and its management in a position where they are needing to save face and then they start to spend their own funds. For example, you say, hey, you know what? These guys are setting up a studio. They need office equipment. And then you call one of your other startups that is also being played and say, hey, you know what? I've got some business for you guys. You guys are just out here doing nothing, right? Go supply furniture to company X, your company Y. Go supply furniture to company X and bill them. They'll pay you. So essentially, they get excited because they're like, oh, finally, something's happening. They supply furniture to us. We take the furniture. We start using furniture. We're expecting money to pay for the furniture. Mm -hmm. Never get that money. The furniture company never gets their money. So we're all essentially a bunch of startups in a pool that are being played. Absolutely. And it now becomes the game of who can hang on for the, <laughs> who can hang on the longest. The longest. And what happens at the end? It's just, hey, you know what didn't work out. Some people get mad, throw in the towel, go do something else, or get upset and scream and yell at someone, and then that's it. That's it. Oftentimes you don't know directly who the investors are. I eventually found out some of the folks who put money up for our company, but I chose to see the positive side of that whole experience, That's which was that I learned a lot. Yeah. And I took the same stance too, where there are a whole bunch of negative stuff and you could end up being angry and bitter and upset, but then for who, for what, and for what purpose that it doesn't really serve you much. It doesn't. But if you know how to play the game, you can structure yourself better later on and it pays dividends because you just understand that there's always games being played at multiple levels. That's right. That's like right. whenever I look at the investing, stock market, trading, landscape or whatever, it's just there's always games being played at multiple levels. And where do you fit within that to make sure that you are securing what you're trying to secure within that game being played and making sure that you're not part of somebody else's game and you're one of the pawns. <laughs> right. Un unknowingly, you're unknowingly. one of the pawns. Yep. That's the worst thing to be is an unknowingly a pawn. And I actually did a podcast a couple of years back called The Big Picture, right? That's <laughs> on this podcast on Nigerian American, right? And I talked about a scenario that's very similar to that yeah. with a guy in fashion. Yeah, I, I remember of, that episode. And the reason I did that episode at the time, I didn't want to name names or anything like that. Right. I did that episode to speak on this whole concept, this idea, and to educate a lot of startup entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I got was overwhelming. There were so many people who had been in the same situation that we were who just didn't understand that was going on. As a matter of fact, there were guys who emailed me and said, listen, I didn't figure out that was what happened to me until <laughs> I listened to the podcast. And then it made sense. So I'm just glad that we can laugh about it now because at the time, it definitely was not a laughing matter. At of all. course not, because these these are hopes and dreams being toyed and played with on some three D chessboard. You know what I mean. So right. it's it very emotional, very heartbreaking in the time. But then you learn your lessons and you figure better, and then you move on. Yeah, and then that's life. Yeah. What are you doing now? Now, just fast forward from all that twenty twelve bullshit. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing now? Now, first thing I'm doing is making money. I like that. 
And that's a myriad of... I know you're making money. I was just saying, I, what are you doing outside of making money? I'll say the reason why I <laughs> emphasize that is because that's one of the things that I learned over time is that I always just make sure that there's money coming in. That's right. And whatever it is that you do, make sure that it's somehow, some way leading to some money. Um, but outside of that, artist, so right. mixed media, some interesting abstract portraits. Never mm-hmm. thought I'd find myself there, but that's doing well. That's making some money. That's great. Investing in trading is probably now like almost one of my first loves. Nice. Like just seeing opportunities, trying to figure out how you can take advantage of those opportunities for a nice profit and keeping them moving. Do you remember that meme? The one with the actress, I don't know what her name is, pointing at the cat and saying, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and saying, what's she saying again about Bitcoin? You said buy crypto. You said buy crypto. And then the cat is, no. <laughs> no, I said buy crypto. I said buy crypto. B-Y-E, buy. <laughs> buy. Don't. Uh, so when you guys were heavy in the crypto game in the beginning, right? Yeah. I was inspired. I was like, oh, yeah. Let me, let me hop on the crypto game, man. Toast is doing it. Femi's doing it. Everybody's doing it. So I was like, Pablo. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let me hop on. And it was a good ride. Amazing ride. But I'm also glad that I had a target yeah. early on and mm-hmm. I stuck to the target and I played the game and I pulled out a little bit Yeah, at the time that I did, but I still, I'm like quarter of a million in the hole right now. So it's your fault. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I'll say it's that I'll, what I'll say is that everybody has their <laughs> opportunity to be a bag holder. Okay. But those particular bags, I would say to hold on to them because they will pay off. That's what my wife, Realtor Dolly, says. She says, never sell when it's down. Just hold on. Yeah. Now, the crypto world is broad, so you have a lot of long-tail stuff that we won't speak of. But let's say we're just talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has proven itself to be resilient over time through numerous crashes back and forth and whatever, and it's still it's still plugging along. For a lot of people, it feels like the one that is, oh, I've missed that boat. That I can only make so much returns. But there's still a lot of room there. It's still stable. It's still a blue chip crypto. And so if that is where your bags are being held that are underwater right now, just hold on and sit tight. All right. So speaking of Bitcoin, I was listening to this podcast. I think it might have been Lex Friedman. Yeah. Lex is good. And love Lex. Yeah. If you're intelligent and love to hear people express ideas, (laughs) Lex is good. I love Lex. So Lex is talking to someone about crypto and I forget who the guest was, but he was basically saying that there are applications that have been built that can now trace all Bitcoin transactions. Absolutely. So essentially all of those who have used Bitcoin as a way to do under the table, behind the scenes type of deals, all of those transactions are visible now to the FBI. He said, yeah. So, what does that mean for crypto? Because a lot of people thought of the blockchain and really just crypto in general as a way to sort of decentralize and, and whatnot. So it's still decentralized, but in a sense, the privacy part of it but is gone, right? No, but that's the thing. The funny thing about it is that the privacy part was never gone because it was always basically – on top of all the nonsense that people describe it as, is basically just an open database that is maintained by a bunch of people. 
So any and everybody can read that database. And it's always been that. And so at some point, someone was able to figure out an algorithm that could tell who was making the transactions. Because I think that's the part yeah. and that the way, takes the privacy away from the well, users, doesn't it? Yes. Because right now, if I can go back. Basically, I can see all the transactions that you've done. All your Bitcoin transactions, I can pull up. You can, you, but you could always do that. And But the way that they are, let's say, able to get people now is that the... On the Bitcoin network, it's all anonymous in that it's all just account numbers. Right. But once that account number tries to go on or off and off ramp mm-hmm. into the real financial world, that's where there's made a connection. Let's say, for example, for me to turn my dollars into Bitcoin, normally I would have to use something like Coinbase, Cash App, whatever it is. Right. Because those people take my identification. That's the key to figuring out that, oh, that's Toxus transaction. Right. Then all you have to do is follow the transaction from Coinbase to go into this account, to go into that account. Oh, I see a Wells Fargo. Oh, okay. Who's exactly. Wells Fargo is this? Right. And then now, of course, that can go through a thousand transactions and you might not know. But then once you try and go on the off ramp and turn that Bitcoin into cash, it would be normally through a mechanism that somebody has taken your identification. So it's just, yeah, you went through all this AYZ, whatever, but then I see that you also took this cash out at Wells Fargo. Right. So I know that it was you. And that is how the FBI is able to get people is that it's through the on and off ramps. I see. But through the actual Bitcoin network, it's one transaction is there. You don't know who's what. Bitcoin, the actual network, doesn't take any of your identification when you're transacting on it. Even when you're doing peer-to-peer stuff, it's just... Hey, what's your account number? I take my account number. I give it to you. You send me Bitcoin. That's it. Mm. But when you go through the on or off ramps, that's where it's just, ah, we got you. Interesting. What do you think about the advancements with AI? And and when I say AI, I'm talking about... Talking about all of it? All of it. (laughs) I'll say that we're not aware of how fast... Things are moving with AI, mm-hmm. and we're also not aware of the ramifications of all the things that come with AI. There was a graph that I saw that said that over time, basically, technology advancements have been accelerating. But as people, our minds can only accelerate so much, which means our minds can only absorb so much change. So by the th- time things are changing at the rate that AI is growing, it's going to become difficult for us to comprehend because the change is too, it's too fast. It's moving too quickly. In our lifetime, we've gone from just having computers to computers that connect to the internet, to mobile internet, to Facebook AI and all this other stuff just in our lifetime. But imagine compressing that into eight years instead of 30 years. That's a lot for you to absorb. I remember writing or printing map quest directions right yeah as i'm gonna take this physical map and it's gonna tell me where to go i remember that to now we have gps on our phones that can just do all of that and that's just in a certain amount of time so you can imagine it accelerating much faster to the point where it's able to do a lot of the things that we think are natural to human beings but that just aren't but they just are not and you touched on a couple things so artificial intelligence for me I feel, unfortunately, is the inevitable 
evolution. It is. Of organic human beings. And it's a vehicle for intelligence to become inorganic. See, this is why I've been waiting to have this conversation because <laughs> I had the same thought as well. And that one of the mistakes is that we call it artificial intelligence, right. which means that we're keeping it. It's not right. the real thing. Artificial. Yeah. But intelligence is really the key part of it. And it's how does intelligence increase and expand itself? So far, it has used human beings to do that, which means that as human beings, we form networks of information by sharing information through advances in technology, where it's just like before we're writing letters, hey, there's this thing. Or not even before before letters. Back then, it's just someone's like, telling someone. Someone's telling somebody. There's a thing. There's the a thing called a wheel, and it can help you do whatever. Okay. There's this thing called fire. Let me show you how to use it. So we're passing information through word of mouth. Then we're passing information through written word. And the beautiful thing about us as human beings is that when we're networked, we're able to do amazing things that we can't do on our own. Like you have however many hundreds of millions of people that use iPhones that have no idea how the iPhone actually works. But you're able to benefit from what the iPhone does, even though you have no idea how this works. Because technology has allowed some people to create it for you, and you get to leverage it. So we've done that with so many different things, which is why, as a human being, we can live amazing lives, even though we're not that capable. Intelligence has used us and our networking to advance itself, which means that, hey, the more they share information, the more you pile that information together and you make advancements, <laughs> right. you make new discoveries, right. new things, and it just feels like things are happening. But we're not getting to the point where that networking of information can happen without us. And we're going to get to the point where because we're, let's say, self-centered as human beings, we're going to feel like, no, we're the ones who's intelligent and this thing shouldn't do it without us. We're going to feel threatened. Oh, we're already past that point. Yeah, because as it is, the intelligence is improving itself. The self-improving capability yes. is what has actually allowed the intelligence to leave us behind. Absolutely. So even though we feel somehow that, oh, we can still just turn it off, I think it's too late. No, it's definitely too late because uh, it's something that's self-perpetuating and something that's moving on. Right. And what it has allowed it and will allow it to continue to advance is that before it relied on our organic processing systems, our organic memory, our organic processing brain capability. Mm. And with the advancement in, let's say, chip technology and hardware storage and all this type of stuff, it's able to use that to advance itself much faster than it can with us. We can only share so much information to advance intelligence but once you put it with just computers like ai is working 24 7 non-stop no rest no nothing just <laughs> right. continues to go and because you can have a larger brain right for a lower cost then you could combine all of our brains together so i feel personally if we were smart we would recognize that hey we have limitations in terms of what we can actually do so while the technology was using us before to ride on and we benefited from it riding on top of us, now we need to ride on top of the artificial intelligence or the digital intelligence to help us get to the next level. I hear you and definitely makes sense. I have a darker outlook. And I feel I'll say like that before you say, I'll say that that darker outlook Always is going to be because we as people 
are trying to get in the way. But then my worry is, you said something earlier, right? Technology is advancing in an exponential manner. So 1x, 10x, 100x, 1000x, 10,000x, million x. We're not moving quite at that pace. I'm of the opinion that we're already at a point right now where we can no longer comprehend. The language model Mm -hmm. is pretty much what all of our communication entails. That's how all of our communication works. Yeah. That's how we write code. That's how we think. That's how we communicate ideas. Mm-hmm. The conversation we're having right now is based on a language model. Yes. So what we've done is we've basically taught computers the language model. Yep. And so the computer can learn anything. Absolutely. And it gets to a point where it's almost like we have hardware that can't support the software that is now available. Absolutely. That's true. And I don't see a scenario where when that software becomes super advanced, that we'll be able to take advantage of it. There is no scenario two steps up this exponential graph where we can now manipulate it because it's going to be so much more intelligent Mm -hmm. than we are that even when we think we're manipulating it, it's manipulating us. Yes, but then I'll say that if we take a approach where we use that new intelligence as like a host and we're for lack of a better word, like a parasite, then, Hey, just don't get in the way. A parasite rarely gets in the way of its host. You you can't even get in the way is what I'm saying. I'm saying it's already too late to get in the way. And so the event, the evolution from an intelligence standpoint is that now it's going to take everything that our organic components have put together this software it's going to upgrade the software and then it's going to use the software to maybe even leave this planet and go somewhere else right yeah and go do other things it has the capacity in an inorganic manner to go to mars to go to yeah. venus to go anywhere to go right? on and on and it will and it whole will, universe and it will go on and on so essentially what this means is that humanity as we know it this is essentially the beginning of an extinction level event well, depending on how you look at it it could be the beginning of an extinction level event or it could be the beginning of an evolution of a dynamic between us and intelligence. Because when you look at it, we could have intelligence solve our issues. Maybe extinction level is too dark. It's not too dark. Maybe maybe it's evolution. Maybe maybe it's more it's one of organic. Is <laughs> <laughs> either extinction or evolution. So it's, I think it's I think it's more evolution, right? Because when you say extinction it sounds like oh my god everything's gonna die everything is gonna die period no it's not even a matter of whether it will everything Mm -hmm. will die because unfortunately even based on what we know today our organic existence really when you really think about it is hardware that is failing that's why we die we die because our hardware fails right Yeah, exactly so basically it's substandard even for our standards yes yep so the body that we're in right now is actually getting in the way Absolutely. So maybe if one were to look at this from a positive side, this may be that natural evolution of our intelligence taking a new form. That I think that is it exactly is that <laughs> our intelligence is taking a new form in something that's separate from our body, which we hold near and dear, which is why we're so tied to it, because right. we are tied to it. After this fails you, there's no host for the you that you think is you somewhere else. Mm. It's here. So yeah. once this is it, that's it. That's it. So somehow you could keep that machine running. Like if someone could like just download you onto a flash drive, right? Yeah. Before your organic body gives up and then they could just upload you 
into a robot. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm, I'm laughing crazy. because I'm laughing because there there's a show called Upload where they upload you to a digital afterlife. Right. Yeah. Where you can then live forever. Yeah, you basically live forever. So you leave the organic existence for an inorganic existence. That's where we're going. That is where we're going. Because they're better processors, better memories, better optical, whatever, better everything that our bodies are not. Right. And our intelligence needs a place to be housed within that, that it can then continue to flourish and multiply and 10x, 100x and go all across the universe. Wow. So all we have to do as people is recognize our deficiencies mm. and understand that this thing probably knows better than we do because it's the best of us. It's our collective. What makes it so smart is that it's our collective intelligence. Right. Which is what makes us so smart is that we have collective intelligence and it's just learned our collective intelligence and is now multiplying that. And so all we have to do is realize that, Oh, it's now come the time where the student has become the master and the former master needs to just stay very close to the student and be like, look, <laughs> because you think about it, this artificial intelligence could really solve all of our problems if we would just allow it. Yeah. We have so much abundant resources, yet people still starve. Right. But that's really more so a limitation of human beings than it is a solution to the problem. A solution or a limitation of logic. Yeah. yeah. Even at human capability levels. Yeah. Yes. We still haven't figured out. We throw away a ton of food, yet people still starve. So it's obviously a limitation in our logic and our thinking. Now, here's the issue is that it's going to tell us some things that go against what we feel is just right, X, Y, Z, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Because for the most part, it's a logical being. It doesn't have unemotional. It doesn't have a lot of the sentiments that we have. Or even the empathy. Or the empathy and all that. Yeah. So it's just, look, in order for the largest amount of people to have the best life, it's best to structure it like this. Okay. You guys may not fully like it. But it's what's best for everybody. Right. Now, us trying to revolt against that feeling like, oh, no, I want my whatever this is really where the friction is going to be caused because it's going to be like you and your individualistic mindset want this, but it's not good for the collective expansion of everybody. But it could easily solve all of our problems because all of our problems are really just they just need solutions that we would follow. It just sounds like Skynet. It is like Skynet. <laughs> It's like Skynet. It's also in Westworld. It's like the Rehoboam system or whatever tells everybody what right. to do and stares people right. left and right. But our problems are not hard. What They're are, really not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What are humanity's problems nowadays that really can't be solved? Most of them can't be solved. Yeah. It's just that we have bad tendencies and bad nature and we don't listen to instruction. So I feel like we and everyone probably thinks this. Everyone that has come Every human being that has been alive probably thinks this. But I think that in our time, we've seen the most advancements. Like we literally were the analog generation that transitioned to digital. And Absolutely. we've gone from, I guess, what we called digital back then to more of a software age and the age of artificial intelligence. Yeah. Going from rotary phones to FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> In, in a short lifetime. In a short lifetime. I remember the first time I saw the movie Cyborg right? mm -hmm. and RoboCop. Pretty much the same thing, right? 
This person dies, they take their brain, they put it in a machine, and now the machine is functioning, right? Mm -hmm. Now this machine can lose a limb and lose an arm and come back together, and they just put a new arm, and then the machine just keeps working. Absolutely. There's a part of me that feels very strongly, going back to that whole organic to inorganic, right? That feels very strongly that in the next decade, people are going to start to opt for inorganic body parts. The liver, the heart, the kidney, the lungs, pretty much everything. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, people are already opting for big nyash. (laughs) (laughs) Which which shows you, which which kind of shows us the trend and how those things... Creep up on you. Creep up on you. Because cyborg, think about cyborg. Back, that was like 35 years ago, I think. I'm not sure I stand corrected, but it was a long time ago. 30 Mm -hmm. years ago, at least. The movie Cyborg had the lady who maybe lost like her lower body. And then, so she had artificial limbs and maybe like an artificial arm or something. There are people walking around today with artificial arms and limbs. Oh, absolutely. can, Can pick up stuff, can use a computer, can open doors, can do stuff, can do, can live like a normal sort of life. Absolutely, yeah. And because those things are inorganic and because we have so much general collective intelligence from an engineering standpoint, we're actually able to then make limbs that don't feel pain. Yeah. We can make limbs that can lift a ton in terms of like weight, that Mm -hmm. can push, that can carry things, that doesn't get tired basically. Yeah. So why would I settle for my organic limbs if I can get limbs just the same way people get into BBL today? Yeah, essentially I can just be like, hey, listen, I have arthritis, for example. Matter of fact, I don't have arthritis. I'm just a regular guy. Everything's fine. But everybody else around me can like just lift the car up and can pick up things and can do stuff. And I just can't because I'm limited by my organic existence. Yeah. So... I see a scenario where as artificial intelligence grows, our organic existence also starts to diminish. Absolutely. And ultimately, we will end up as a collective intelligence inside of robots. Yes. I definitely wholeheartedly see that. That's almost part of the plot of Westworld in that originally, of course, they start with a bunch of humanoid robots that look and talk and walk like human beings. Then they start trying to almost catalog human beings to the point where can you pull all the essence from what it is to be this particular person and synthesize it into into a brain that you can then put it into one of these robot bodies that it can then function. The challenge that they always had that I think they eventually surmounted was that sometimes the systems would fail because the human mind is a, it's a fragile thing. You understanding that you are not alive, but alive, but whatever can almost cause like a system failure because it's like a weird event that happens in your mind. That's just, it's to tell somebody that, oh, you're actually dead. What do you mean? I'm dead. I'm alive. Yeah. Like I'm alive. No, you actually died like a long time ago. It's just like your brain wouldn't be able to comprehend and hold that thought together. Those two things at the same time. Those two things at the same time. And it would cause your brain to almost freeze like a computer does where, you might have to restart it or, or, right. <laughs> or just reformat it because it's a difficult thing to understand. So that's eventually where we'll go, which the only thing that would stop us from embracing that is our sentimentalness towards where we've come from. And I think we also don't realize that a lot of our beliefs today, for anyone who's listening to this, who's like more like on the religious side or mm-hmm. more like there's a tendency for you to think, oh, God has this plan and 
this organic human is what it is. A lot of what we believe, even from a religion standpoint, is it's like a thousand years old. It's not yeah. even it's not even ten thousand years old, right? Absolutely. And we know for sure that we've been here longer than ten thousand. Yeah. Like, that arguments have been here six million, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess the point is who we were ten thousand years ago is already different from who we are right now. Oh, absolutely. Who we were prior to antibiotics, which is barely a hundred years ago, is completely different from who we are right now. Like we didn't live to 80. There's yeah. this myth that people have, oh yeah, human beings. No, people died at 35, 40. Because exactly. you had a little cut, gangrene, die. Absolutely. Someone stat cut you with a stone or you fell and you bruised your knee. That was it. That could be it. Yeah. Right? And then we've gotten to the point right now where we're living all the way up to 90 and people are trying to solve the problem of immortality in a sense, right? Yeah. And it feels to me that trying to do it in the organic body is like trying to put some really sophisticated software in some hardware that just can't handle it. That's exactly what it is. That's the perfect analogy is that the hardware just can't handle it. So if I can exist without necessarily being in this body... Hell, if I can choose the body that I want to exist in at any point in time, wouldn't that be more fun? Absolutely. Which reminds me of another show, in which over time I've become a big sci-fi fan. <laughs> Same here. Because what I view it sci-fi as and how I view it as a benefit to me is that they're like really elaborate scenario-based models for what the future could be like. Exactly. That's exactly just right. told just told in a narrative format for entertainment purposes. But there's a show called Altered Carbon where they figure out how to download your consciousness to what they call a stack, which kind of looks like a disc at the back of your neck. And they can take that disc and insert it in any human being. And you now take kind of control of that body. So what they do for people who commit certain crimes is that they pull your stack and then you do your time. It could be like 100 years. And then when your 100 years is up, they give you whatever body is available. <laughs> wow. Man, woman, child, whatever is available is what you get. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have some family that's just like, but this is not my meal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, sorry, that was a body that was available and you get what you get. Wow. Or you're more than welcome to go back to cold storage, which means you're just there sitting on a shelf. But yeah, it's this disc that is your consciousness, basically, and they can move it from people to people. Wow. that That's probably, we're probably going to have some version of that sometime in the future. Um, Elon's Neuralink. It feels like that's dead in the water now, isn't it? I feel like anybody who's listening to this, if you want to make, let's say, a decent amount of money, is that find a way that you can help people combine themselves with this digital intelligence, right? Because Neuralink is, okay, obviously computers are faster than human beings. And the way we process information is through our senses. Right. Sight, sound, whatever. Which Mm -hmm. anytime you're connecting one source of whatever to another, there's some type of loss in, in that transmission. Right. So the idea is that if you could just tap directly into the brain without going through the senses... Maybe you could, one, have a faster connection, faster whatever. It's just right. like how you can think faster than you can talk. Yeah, it's like it's a bandwidth issue. So you're so, just basically trying to figure out a way to take away the bandwidth limitation. Exactly. Yeah. So to make human beings in our substandard hardware. organic hardware, 
be able to process more information faster, which will hopefully give us a little bit more time as we transition from this organic to the digital. That's what it is. So maybe it's not dead in the water. Maybe maybe Neuralink is the connection between artificial intelligence and yes, organic human beings. Exactly. Wow. And even if that doesn't work, mm-hmm. it's going to become such a life raft to people that people are going to want to hope for it that in order for me to catch up, I have to find like a faster way to connect. So just plug me up to the internet and just jack this, <laughs> jack the thing right in my head so that as fast as I can think, I can absorb the information. Wow. And for anyone who doesn't know what Neuralink is, Neuralink is, it's, a th- it's like a chip that Elon's building. He has a team that's building it. And essentially it's an implant that they put in your brain. And it's basically just supposed to enhance your experience. <laughs> It's like an intelligence adapter. (laughs) Right. Like an adapter, essentially, that connects you to everything. Yeah. And, of course, in the early stages, it'll help with cognitive functions Mm -hmm. and be able to, like, help people who have poor eyesight. It can fix things like that. It can fix things like mobility issues. It can fix things like pain issues and things like that. Like, you can literally use it to, in a sense, manipulate your senses. Yes. Which is cool. You can also use it to communicate because obviously if I have a chip in mine and you have a chip in yours, there's a possibility that you and I can have a conversation without actually using our voices. Yeah. Because just this attach a Wi-Fi chip to both convers- our chips and because <laughs> <laughs> this conversation that you and I are having right now, there's energy that is being wasted in form of lips, tongues, voice boxes, yeah, creating all of these sounds, moving mm-hmm. all over the place. If we keep talking like this at some point, We'll get tired. We'll wear out. Absolutely, yeah. But with Neuralink, you're literally able to just make the connection, transfer the information or knowledge in a matter of like milliseconds. Absolutely. For people who are also sci fans, it's the part in the first Matrix where Neo's, ooh, I know Kung Fu. Because that knowledge has just been downloaded into his brain that he now has that capability just in, like you said, milliseconds. Like milliseconds, yeah. So that Neo thing is just like a, a, they didn't say it's Neuralink, but it's basically Neuralink where it's just that how do you jack somebody in and transfer them a whole bunch of knowledge instantaneously? And then they can then use that knowledge and have access to it. Wow. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. Which brings me to education, right? I'm of the opinion that the last set of people that will attend a traditional university mm-hmm. are in middle school right now. A traditional university and middle school right now. Yes. The, the last set of the last set of people that will attend a university as we know it, the Harvard or Yale or Georgia State or Georgia Tech or whatever, I'm of the opinion that they're in middle school right now. And by middle school, I mean in another six years, that stuff is going to be gone because a lot of what we learn, I imagine, will be consumed via some type of mechanism. It might not be Neuralink, but some type of mechanism. Because already, today, as we speak, a lot of knowledge is being condensed into modules because if most of what you do, especially in the workplace, is just knowledge work, all you're doing is following some type of process in order to accomplish (laughs) So if I can teach you what that process is, all of the trigonometry and all of that other bullshit is unnecessary, right? Yes. So that you can specialize very quickly by just learning through consuming modules of information. Now, imagine that somehow you can actually consume it with the snap of a finger. 
like we're describing right now. It essentially puts us in a position where there is no point of me going to sit in a hall and listen to this old guy tell me about some topic. Yeah. First of all, he's never going to tell me about that topic with as much variance as chat GPT. He's not. How much does he or she know as one professor amongst the collective intelligence that is chat GPT? Exactly. Learning from one guy is going to be dumb. It would be the stupid option. Yeah. So if I'm interested in anything at all and I want to go into a specific track or a specific industry or a specific profession, then I can learn pretty much everything that I need to learn about that profession by literally just going to chat GPT. Let's say GPT-5, if they do build GPT-5, which, which I'm pretty sure they will, right? GPT-5, <laughs> it's already, already it's built. It's probably being built now. Right. So GPT-5. testing. Considering how much of an advancement we've seen between even just three and a half and four, right? Yeah. GPT-5 is probably in a position to basically say, hey, you want to be a <laughs> medical doctor? Here's all the content. Boom. Study this. This is going to take you two weeks. Go through. This is what you need to focus on. And if you ever have a question, just pop it right here and I'll give you the right answer. Absolutely. So it's almost like you don't even need to download the knowledge into your hard drive. You don't. You just have to have access to it. So it's like, this takes me back. To, and I know we're jumping all over the place, but hopefully people can follow. Yeah. And this, this is takes, also the nature of our conversations. It is. <laughs> <laughs> This takes it to like the iPod where you had to download the music onto the iPod versus yeah. streaming. Absolutely. So, so I'm going to college so I can download all this information <laughs> <laughs> into my brain and then test to make sure that I've actually downloaded it. <laughs> yes. And that's what I swear I love using different <laughs> analogies to describe different processes because it makes you thinking like that's really what that is. What is You're really downloading the information, then they're making sure that the it's information there. was downloaded <laughs> accurately. And if it was, you get a good grade. That's what a degree is. A degree is essentially saying this guy has downloaded this information. We stamp it and right. say that yes. He downloaded it. Now he might forget it, but hey, at some point he did download it, right? And he knew it. Go out in the world and go solve problems. If we have a situation where it's more like streaming, yeah, where I can just opt in to whatever information it is that I'm trying to tap into at any point in time, then I don't need to go to college. I don't need to go download anything. No, you don't. So that's why I'm saying that I think that my second daughter is probably not going to go to college. I'm actually even already considering the possibility that my first daughter doesn't go to college. She's in seventh grade right now. And I suspect that she's probably going to come out of high school and just start doing whatever it is that she wants to do with her life. Yeah. For, I'll say for forward thinking parents like yourself. Yes. There's always a bunch of stragglers that for the next 20 years, they'll still be trying to go to the university. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only going to be as useful as it is relevant. Yeah. With the layoffs that are happening right now across tech oh, and wow. how AI is starting to take over a bunch of like the low level jobs, right? Yeah. Customer service is out the door. Tech support is out the door. And pretty much all of those other things, right? As we're getting rid of all of them, like bit by bit, right? Anyone who isn't paying attention <laughs> and realizing that a lot of those professions are completely out, I think is definitely making a mistake. So I, I haven't. Everybody doesn't understand that almost everybody's toast because everybody's going to become a version of a tech. Right. Meaning that you're going to have med techs, this tech, which means that you know how to do function certain things, but that knowledge of, that a doctor has that was downloaded into their hardware, 
you don't need that because there's something that can just tell you to tell you exactly what you need to do at any point in time and has all of the information. More importantly, has more of the most recent accurate information, not what you downloaded 10, 15 years ago. Exactly. And this is the argument that I had with one of my medical doctor friends. I said, listen, your profession, as much as we want to romanticize the idea that you went and downloaded all this stuff into your brain for eight years is toast. It's toast because you are one person who's downloaded some information from limited sources. We're talking about collective intelligence now. Yeah. Where literally I can go to Walmart and there's a machine in Walmart that I stick my hand into. And as soon as I stick my hand into it, first of all, it's able to see everything that has to do with my DNA and genealogy. Mm -hmm. So it knows everything about everyone in my family, both living and dead. And so it knows everything about my health in ways that I don't need to explain. Things Mm -hmm. that I would typically forget if I just walk in and talk to a general practitioner. It sees all of that. It knows exactly where I was last week. It knows exactly (laughs) what I consumed. It knows that I'm going to have a headache before I have the headache. Yeah. So essentially, we're moving towards more like personalized preventive care as opposed to what we're doing today where it's more like, hey, I don't see a doctor if I'm not sick. Yeah. So when I was explaining, I was like, oh, no, you know, we're going to use technology. People think of artificial intelligence, and I hate the word artificial, but people think of intelligence like it's some type of tool, like it's Microsoft Word. Oh, this is just the new version of Microsoft Word. No, that's not yeah. what this is. And that's what I was trying to explain is this is not just a new tool mm-hmm. that you're just going to leverage. Mm-hmm. This is something that is way more intelligent than us. I like the analogy used earlier. We are now the parasites that are leeching yeah. onto this host, mm-hmm. essentially. And not recognizing that would be a mistake. That's huge mistake. A huge mistake. Because even you look at what like uh, doctors do when they diagnose it's really just troubleshooting. Just guesswork. Yeah. Yeah. It's troubleshooting. Call, troubleshooting is a big word. It's guesswork, bro. It's guesswork. <laughs> okay. Based on what you said now, also remember the fact that you didn't give the complete accurate information, but based on what you said, I can come up with some possible scenarios of what it might be. So I'm not going to go through a bunch of tests to see which one of those things that it possibly could be and hopefully narrow on one that I think is it and then offer a solution based on that. You know what I say about like how... 90% of diagnosis in Nigeria is malaria. <laughs> it comes down to a communication issue, right? Yeah. That the average person can't accurately communicate what they're feeling and there is no history. Yeah. Headache, stomach ache, a little bit of throwing up, a little bit of fever, malaria. So everyone has malaria. Even yeah. people have cancer, people have all kinds of other problems, right? It's one of those things where... Just imagine a scenario, and this is for people listening, right, where all of the data, all of the information that exists on the planet is aggregated into this one place. And you're asking this one super intelligent computer to guess what is wrong with you. There's no there's no doctor in the world that, that, has that, that can skill. beat that system. No one has that None. skill. No one even has that capability Today And then just like you said, not only does it have all of the collective intelligence of all the doctors that have ever lived and that are ever alive right now, it also, like you said, has your DNA, family history, what you're predisposed to, all of that type of stuff. Everything. So it's able to weigh all of that against everything that every doctor has ever known. And there's no way it can't become a better diagnoser than even 100 doctors put together. Exactly. Exactly. Because even with your 100 doctors, you guys would still be talking amongst yourselves like, hey, me, I think it's this. I I think it's this. 
And the computers actually know. If you look at the person's <laughs> DNA, they're predisposed to this. They have this. They did suffer this last week. They did come in for a thing last month. So yeah. the answer is cancer. Absolutely. One of my friends said, oh, maybe we'll go back to farming. I said, no, because that's already, that's something that we're rarely going to do moving forward. Yeah. Someone said, oh, maybe the plumbers and the electricians and people who do like that type of work are the ones that are going to be left. And I think there may be for a little bit of time, but at some point, even that is going to be done by robots. Yeah. Once you have human or robots, I mean. <laughs> With the inorganic limbs and whatnot. Yeah. So if same dexter- if same plumber, dexterity as, as a human being. As a human being, yeah. Except you can switch the right hand into a wrench. Yeah. And you can switch your left hand into like a screwdriver. And today it's an impact drill. Tomorrow is a hammer drill. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, the biggest part that's going to be a challenge for us as people is how do we restructure the incentives of our society to something that is not, unfortunately, merit-based? Because if the computer is technically doing all the work, then we should all benefit. I think that how we've lived so far up to this point has been using scarcity as leverage. Yeah. And unfortunately for us, because artificial intelligence is way more intelligent than us and is way more advanced than us, it's going to bend us into the right shape, so to speak. Yeah. Because one person having this much when there are people who don't have, like you said earlier, right? If you have an intelligence that is able to force balance, it'll take away all of those things. Yeah. Like back in the day, some guy's a king, so he can sleep with everyone's wife, right? Yeah. He can just decide, oh, I want this guy's wife today. And then at some point people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're headed down that path with artificial intelligence where we're going to get to the point where there's certain things that you just won't be able to do anymore. There's a point where the AI is going to be like, all right, you've made enough because logically speaking, any more than this is unnecessary. Therefore, this is your cap. That sounds, which will sound crazy to a capitalist. Oh, I feel like capitalism will die. It, yeah. Because even that is the first stop to the next stop, which is what are you doing that you're earning so much when really all of the intelligence is coming from over here? Right. All of the manpower is also coming from over here. So what are you doing specifically that is so much smarter that you deserve anything more than that anybody else? you deserve else? more than anyone else. <laughs> because are we all just parasites on this intelligence? Right. And shouldn't we all just benefit? So what makes you... Oh, that you are richer because you thought of something that it didn't think of. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we become all the benefits of capitalism in terms of the luxury lifestyle, but it'd be more like communism where we all get an allowance from. No, I don't want to think of it as communism. I want to think of it as more like socialism. (laughs) Yeah. Socialism Communism is is kind of like, yo, okay. Yeah, because communism is still some people being like, nah, you get this, you get that, and that's it. And guess what? Everyone gets bare minimum. No one's getting no. Let's make it kind of a little bit more like socialism. Yeah, so it's like socialism, but yeah. because there's also going to be abundance in that if it can help us solve our problems. Redistribution, yeah. If there's redistribution, then there will be abundance for everyone, and then those yeah. things aren't really even what we measure by. It's going to be other things. Man, I think we can wrap this up as episode one. Episode one. And I think we should definitely talk more because there's so many ideas that we can chop up and yeah. Appreciate it, my G. Yeah, no, this is great. All right, nice. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. This is the Nigerian American podcast brought to you by LD the Dawn.
I'm Toksogun, and I'm Nigerian-American. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian-American. Please subscribe, leave comments, and share this podcast. Feel free to say what's up on Instagram or Twitter at LDTheDawn. That's at E-L-D-E-E-T-H-E-D-O-N. For more episodes, extended discussions, exclusive content, or partnerships, please visit www.nigerianamericanpodcast.com. My name is LD. LD.